0: A quick heads up, in this series we talk about drug use, mental health issues and there's a bit of swearing. This is Art, Life and the Other Thing, a podcast about Brett Whiteley, the themes surrounding his work and the impression he continues to have on the contemporary art world. I'm Fenella Kernobone and I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was made, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. In each episode, we will dive into one of Brett Whiteley's artworks from a painting as iconic as The Balcony 2 of Sydney Harbour to his unfinished painting, Interior Lavender Bay. We'll look at the impact Brett Whiteley has had on the art world over the past 60 years and talk to contemporary artists about his work and about how his work and style may have influenced their own career. Coming up in the series, we'll talk about the self-portrait and why artists are so drawn to this genre.
1: For Brett Whiteley, a lot of his work really was about trying to work out where he fitted in. And I think self-portraiture
0: is an expression of that curiosity in his own mind. Iconic artworks and what gives a painting that status.
1: Good painting floods me with emotion that's hard to pinpoint, really. Like, it's somewhere between...
0: love and pain, (laughs) and I can't describe why. Pieces from the past and how they stack up when we view them through a contemporary lens.
1: So the female nude is allowable in a certain way, but never
0: actually shown with all her human anatomy. That's funny, isn't it? It's a censored view, even though it's also ubiquitous. And the mental state of the artist and how that impacts on their creativity
2: but he could go into a space where he just switched off I and mean, he was so friendly a minute ago and then suddenly bang, you know. Life was always intense for him. He loathed the feeling of failure in himself.
0: But first, in this episode, we're going to look at an unfinished painting that was found in storage in the Brett Whiteley studio after his death. Preserving an artist's studio gives an incomplete piece like this one somewhere to be displayed, and it feels right to see it hanging, to give visitors a sense of the artist and his way of working. But why do we preserve these types of spaces? And what does it reveal about the artists themselves? So I'm heading to the studio now, walking along a narrow street in Surrey Hills. It's a suburb in Sydney's inner city. On one side of the road, just over there, all these terrace houses sit closely together. And then on the other side, there's a long wall, there's no windows, just one big wooden door. So here we are, this is it, the door to Brett Whiteley's studio, the place where one of the country's most celebrated artists lived and worked for seven years, until his death in 1992. Behind these walls are some of his most famous pieces of art. To be honest, some of Australia's most famous pieces of art.
3: Welcome to the Brett Whiteley studio. Have you been here before at all?
0: So who was Brett Whiteley? Many think of him as Australia's original celebrity artist, celebrated both for his talent and his wild lifestyle. But to understand Whiteley and his fame, we need to know where he came from. Brett's artistic journey began as soon as he was old enough to hold a pencil. And that artistic instinct led to his first big break, as the winner of a scholarship to travel overseas to immerse himself in the dynamic European art scene. It didn't take long for Brett to break through, and in 1961, at the age of just 22, he became the youngest painter ever to have his work acquired by the most prestigious gallery in the United Kingdom, the Tate Gallery. For the next decade, Brett travelled from London to New York, rising in stature and recognition within the art world, before finally returning home in 1969. And it was here in Sydney that he cemented his reputation as one of the great modern artists. He won the Archibald Portrait Prize, Australia's prestigious portrait award in 1976, and then in 1978, he went on to win not only the Archibald for a second time, but he also claimed the hat trick. He won the Sulman and the Wynn Prizes too. When we think of Brett Whiteley today, troubled genius comes to mind, but he was more than that. He was also extremely hardworking and dedicated to making art. You really get a sense of this when you step inside his studio. It almost feels like you're entering the inner workings of his mind. Barry Pearce, the former curator of Australian art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, recalls the space as often being pretty chaotic.
4: And he he had paintings everywhere and paints, very untidy, you know, it wasn't organised like it became later.
0: And here's Wendy Whiteley, Brett's former wife and the subject of many of his paintings, talking about the area in 1995 when the studio first opened to the
2: public. Surrey Hills itself has changed a lot. When we, the studio first opened, which was during the same time that Brett's retrospective at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the studio as a cohesive entity was happening, um, the Premier at the time entered Raper Street with a with a kind of terrified look on his face, surrounded by by guards, because I think they thought Surrey Hills was so dangerous and so down at hill at the time. Then he walked in through those doors and you could see he was transformed by the experience.
0: When he moved in, Brett renovated the space, transforming the downstairs into an art gallery. Here's Barry Pierce again, reflecting on what Brett saw in the space
4: he was imagining how he was going to use the space. You know, this was going to be the kitchen. He was going to have a bedroom out the back there. The studio was there looking out over the balcony. And the main thing he said, that the reason he liked his space, because he can imagine he could have everything. He could have a, a working environment where he could have peace and quiet if he wanted to, or he could have mad parties if he wanted to and plenty of people, or he could use the bottom as a sort of a mini gallery, like a museum, for his own work.
0: Brett used the downstairs area as a rehearsal space for his
4: artworks. I, I think he just wanted his own private view of how the painters were going to work together in preparation for an exhibition. But he would give him a chance to shuffle the pictures around and hang them on the wall with nice lighting, prepping himself, like rehearsing, very theatrical if you think about it, you know. This was his rehearsal space, or downstairs I'm talking about, not up here so much, as living up here.
0: Upstairs is more cosy. That's where the bedroom and the kitchen are. There's also a space with a black leather couch and postcards and photographs on the wall. This is where Brett lived, where he rested and, yes, sometimes partied. It's where he felt
2: most at home. Here's Wendy again. The living room? Well, the living room hasn't changed that much. There's almost the same photographs up on the back of the door and above the desk and the little collect the collection of uh, CDs and things, the music, that hasn't changed that much. The floor, when Brett was first there, he had this, was pretty horrible actually, kind of pale apricot coloured carpet all over it, just completely worn by people walking up and down on it when we opened the thing and so eventually we took it up and discovered it had a very beautiful old floor. From the, the back part of the studio is actually a very old building, the brick part. And I think it must have been a kind of hayloft up there.
0: Up there is his studio. There's tins of paint, glass jars holding brushes, and easel set up and ready to go. Carefully scattered around are Brett's things that have been collected over the years, including bird's eggs, magazines, postcards...
1: We're here on a mezzanine level where the room is almost as if he would have used it himself. So there are artist materials on the floor. The floor is lined with wood which is covered with spatters and paint marks. There's a rolled-up carpet in the corner. A lot of artist studios that i visited have these daggy old carpets and they're there to to keep you warm. So it's it's an environment that feels very much as if the artist had left it uh, not so long ago.
0: This is Anne Ryan, Curator of Australian Art at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Of course,
1: it's not as he would have left it. It's, it's dusted, it's tidy, even though the, the materials are all over the floor. His books are on a bookcase by the wall. There are inscriptions that he wrote on the wall and postcards and images of artworks and other objects that he collected around himself as stimuli. It's a curated vision of what an artist's studio is like. And some artist studios are super organised and neat and tidy and others are complete chaos. And this one feels sort of slightly in between,
0: really. After Brett and Wendy separated, he moved into the studio full-time and lived here until he died in 1992 at the age of 53. It was Wendy and Archie, their daughter, who came up with the idea to turn Brett's studio into a living museum. They wanted to both preserve his legacy and find a way to continue to showcase his work. The studio was purchased by the state government and later managed by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Here, Brett's work is exhibited, along with an annual exhibition of young artists nominated as finalists for the Brett Whiteley Travelling Art Scholarship. Here's Wendy.
2: The dancers show, and you know, the kind of uh, exhibition space, which is all the whole thing. The whole thing is a unit, as far as I see it. It, it. One thing relates to the other. The thing is that it was... Kind of almost ready, ready-made when Brett died, for the government to actually take her on as an idea. It was because it was kind of there; it existed almost as it is. I mean, we changed the exhibitions, and we've had to organise things for the public to be able to use the space. But it's very much like it was when Brett was there, because he actually made those inner shells that, from an old T-shirt factory, it turned it into a very beautiful white space. And it's got its storerooms, it's got you know toilets for the public, et cetera, et cetera. But it feels intimate and enclosed for people. So it's very distinct from going into a big museum. Even if you're going to see one artist's work, you walk into the home as well as the artist's working space. And I think that's what makes the big difference and why people really love it as a space and really like to see a run of an artist's work that much.
0: Recently, the studio celebrated an important anniversary. It's been 25 years since the studio's solid timber door opened to the public. And as Wendy says, the studio itself hasn't changed much.
2: The paints and the actual working materials are pretty well as they were. as 25, 30 years ago. When it gets to be that stage, occasionally they have to be dusted. The books and things were more or less like Brett had them. The stuff on the walls is the same. What does change from time to time are the works that are actually hung on the wall so that they actually become part of the exhibition. I don't think there's I've never thought that there's that much benefit to just leave a stack of old um, boards stacked up against the wall, taking up space. It's just an opportunity to show a few more works to people at the time. But it retains... Hopefully the sense of that's where Brett was working, using the same tools, the chair never changes. Can't let anyone sit in it anymore. It's become a kind of sacred icon, that chair. It'd probably fall apart if anyone sat in it anyway. But and this last exhibition, I think you can see it, there's a chair from Lavender Bay that relates to a work that was made in Lavender Bay. And so I brought that into the studio there. And things like that will probably end up in the studio when I'm dead anyway. But the rest of the stuff is, yeah, fundamentally the same people who come in there for the first time are amazed at it they're really excited by amazed by it it's not going to win everybody over but it but it certainly has its place i think very strong place
0: yes there's an energy to this space whether you like brett's work or not you do feel a certain pull to it here surrounded by his works in progress his brushes his favorite books Barry Pierce, curator, has a theory for
4: why this is so. Good art energises you. Bad art sucks your energy. Why? Because you have to work out what's wrong with it. And so you put your mental energy into working out, resolving the problems of art that didn't come off. He is good enough to always give you energy. Every Every good work of art does that. We want to make it a pleasurable place where you can soak up something of the the air that the artist inhabited here when he was at his creative best, you know. And he made some wonderful works of art here.
0: But why preserve an artist's studio? And why this artist? It's a question I put to Anne Ryan from the Art Gallery of New South Wales.
1: When you're a curator, you're used to going to studios, but for the vast majority of people, it's a mysterious kind of world. And so to be able to show a space like this that had an artist working in it and to give some sense of what that was like is a really rare thing. And it's a very nice insight for the general public to start to access that world when, when you go to an art museum, you see the final curated objects on the wall. If an artwork has got into a museum such as the Art Gallery of New South Wales, it's the, at the peak of that artist's powers. It's really the final product. But to get to that point, an artwork and an artist and an artist's mind travels through a whole world. So having a studio like the Brett Whiteley Studio Museum is, is a really nice way of, of beginning to tell that story.
0: For me, visiting Brett's studio is a wonderful way to spend an afternoon. But for some contemporary artists, it's so much more. It's an education, sometimes even a confirmation of the path they're on.
5: While looking at all of Brett Wiley's studio stuff right in front of me, I can say, yes, we're a bit messy, we're a bit, a lot of visceral materials. I think the similarities would definitely be that uh, the space is important to us, it's a creative space and we kind of fully take on that space as a creative space.
0: This is Louise Young, a Chinese-Australian artist who works across painting, sculpture and installation.
5: Uh, Space is everything to me. The importance of having a space that is detached from your home because the idea of a home being a space to rest and then the studio as a space to work and that is a space to think it's yours is very, very important to me. It's also my safe space. As well, so I know that it's always there. But most importantly, it's a space that you can shape. And uh, so, whether it's like you're working on multiple projects or one project or or whatever, you're just sitting there and thinking. You're surrounded by all your ideas. Everything that's in your brain is vomited on the walls.
0: What do you think about the idea of the artist's studio becoming the museum?
5: I'm conflicted because, particularly as we stand in Brett Whiteley's studio. I have flashbacks to when I was in grade seven and we had an excursion and uh, we came here and uh, we all had like a pad and some charcoal and we were just drawing and sketching. And I was, you know, grade seven, loved art, was being like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I want a place like this. I want stuff like this. I want paint on the floor. I want all this space. And so being heavily inspired as a kid and also being told when I was doing these charcoal sketches here that there's potential for me to become an artist so for that this space is like it's meaningful to me in that sense as I get older though um, the idea of kind of romanticizing or preserving an artist space I don't know how I feel about that in the sense because artist spaces they're very personal and having that opened up to me if it was my space doesn't feel quite right so I guess for educational purposes, because it has directly affected me, I'm all for it. But in a kind of commercial sense, I'm still figuring that part out, you know?
0: Of course, it's more complicated than just getting the balance of preservation and commercialization right. We also need to consider which artistic spaces we deem important, which ones we choose to take care of, and question not only why we choose these ones.
5: The only studios I've been able to visit that are preserved have often been white males as well you know th- those are kind of things where I have a bit of like a oh hey hey kids you know artist studios aren't this one definition this is just how one person work this is just how Brett Whiteley work you can have your own studio if you do end up becoming an artist or being working in the creative field that's completely different. Could be just the back of your bedroom and you can still be an artist. You don't need all this space, all this, like, you can still do it. So, yeah, I do think that the ones that we've preserved and the ones that are accessible, there are benefits in it and in the sense of inspiring us as kids. But it's important to note that the majority of them are privileged white men who have their spaces preserved and is not a dictation of what spaces should be like if you are to go into this field and not all spaces are like this.
0: Maybe we need to start preserving your studio, Louise. What do you reckon?
5: Oh, hey, if you want to give me all this, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm up for it, absolutely.
0: Walking through Brett's studio, I can't help but wonder what happens to the creative parts of our consciousness when we visit these preserved spaces. And through preserving them, do these spaces become more or less real?
3: My name's David Eastwood. I'm an artist and a lecturer at the University of New South Wales Art and Design.
0: I met up with David at Brett's studio. As a PhD student, he explored the afterlife of artists' studios, preserved as museum spaces after their deaths. And of course, there are loads of artist studios like Brett's around the world, like Picasso, Rodin, Delacroix in Paris, Francis Bacon in Dublin. And because he's researched quite a few of them, I put it to David, how real are these spaces?
3: Well, it's certainly got an aura to it. I mean, that's that's one of the things about posthumously preserved artist studios, that there's you're meant to feel this sense of the artist's presence. And the fact that this is a space that he decorated himself and artefacts of his are left behind, the postcards all over the walls and the little inscriptions and so forth. There is certainly a palpable presence being inhabited by an individual who's no longer here, but his presence remains in what he's left behind.
0: Okay, so it it doesn't feel to you like it's something that was the past? It still feels very present, feels contemporary?
3: I... Encounter these places with a slight sense of suspicion, like I'm being hoodwinked by museum curators into feeling something or thinking something. And there is always an element of stage managing that that you're aware of.
0: It's easy to come here and to be charmed by the scattering of Brett's objects, but what about the role a space like this has in preserving the artist's work?
3: With Whiteley, what we can see and the unfinished painting that's currently on show at the Whiteley Studio shows us is with the unfinished works, you can see more of an insight into the process in which works were made and decisions uh, are left exposed. For example, charcoal drawings that may have been filled in later and things being overpainted but not fully resolved. So in various artist studios, the unfinished work is an important aspect of revealing something about the artist's process. But there's also, it creates this emotional connection for some people, because when they walk into the studio and see an unfinished work, it contributes to that feeling that the artist has just left and could come back at any moment. And that's an observation that a lot of people make when they walk into posthumously preserved artist studios. There's a sense of keeping their memory alive, like they're, they're just around the corner and could return.
0: One painting that has this effect in particular is titled Interior Lavender Bay Unfinished. It hangs on the back wall of Brett's studio near his bedroom. Looking at it here, standing amongst other visitors to the gallery, it sort of feels like Brett could come back any minute, pick up his brush and keep going. So what do visitors to the gallery think of this piece?
4: Maybe if we, we go there, if
5: we go just museum, we, we couldn't uh, feel this feeling. I feel like uh, he was definitely here. His belt is still here.
4: So I can see there, I assume this is a nude model here on the, in the bottom right,
0: and this kind of slightly ghostly hand. I don't think that is unfinished because he wouldn't have put his hand with the paintbrush. If it was finished, that's like to me, it'd be the last thing to put in there. If you'd like to see the piece online, go to agnsw.art forward slash bwspodcast. In the meantime, here's curator Anne Ryan describing it.
1: It's a picture of the artist at work. You can see his hand coming in at the bottom of the canvas holding a brush. In the middle of the canvas, there is another picture. So he's painting a painting within that painting. He's really recreating his own environment. There are objects in the space where uh, he's showing a ceramic that he's made with a bunch of flowers in it. He's showing a scroll painting that he's done of a willow and there's a female nude in there. So he's really recreating his studio. But of course, it's not a finished painting. It's something that he hasn't signed. It hasn't gone out into
0: the world Anne explains that works like these are on display to give us an insight into Brett's creative process, a glimpse into how he made decisions, the thinking behind how a work came together. Because, of course, every artist makes a
1: painting differently. But for Brett, we can see some areas which are very, very deliberate and complete, such as the, the scroll painting on the left. And then these other areas, such as the, the drawn in form of a, of a female nude sculpture, which feels almost there, but perhaps not. He's still working out how he's going to finally have it in the work. There are little bits of a painting that are obscuring something underneath, so you can see where he's changed his mind. But interestingly, of course, this unfinished painting is framed as if it were ready to go onto the wall of a gallery. So it's a a paradox.
0: With Brett, behind every great painting is a great drawing. But were it not for this gallery, we might not know it. So what's a curator trying to show us by putting this painting on display?
1: We all draw and some of the most interesting drawings in the world are made by small children. Drawing is a way where we can express what we're thinking. It's a way of trying to understand something, whether it's understanding how something exists in space, whether it's trying to recall something or create something out of nothing. Drawing is a very natural impulse that sometimes we repress until and, and we get to the point we say, I can't draw, but everyone starts off drawing. Brett Whiteley had a very great facility for drawing. His line is very lyrical. It feels very confident. So when you're looking at a drawing by Brett, a good drawing by Brett, you get that sense of the speed in which it's made, the confidence he has in getting down his idea. He's trying to capture a moment or capture a form in space. Of course, his drawing skill, part of it was innate, but part of it was the result of hard work. And that's the thing people may not understand about an artist like Brett Whiteley. We have this romantic idea that an artist is, springs forth fully formed as some kind of genius. And certainly there's a propensity there that pushes somebody to to push that innate desire to create in a certain direction. But an artist who loves to draw will draw all the time and they will do it wherever they are, and Brett was one of those artists. And the thing that is lovely about his draftsmanship and his drawing is that it often enters into all the other types of works he makes. So you'll find drawing within paintings, you'll find drawing within printmaking, you'll, you'll even find that sense of the drawn line in a three-dimensional object uh, like a sculpture. So, yes, he was one of the most talented draftsmen of his era, Um the thing I like about his drawing is you get the sense of enjoyment he got out of it and the sense of great um, excitement he got when he was making drawings. And And when he does a good drawing, it's fantastic.
0: Um, you say good, but what about bad? Like what is it when it's bad? Is it bad? Is it possible? Art is subjective, but when you look at a lot of art,
1: you start to recognise art that feels... Authentic and real. It's a really hard thing to explain, but sometimes you just know if something has that power that brings you to another place. It's not merely about skill, it's not merely about being able to make your drawings look like something in the real world. It's more about what that drawing can evoke, that sense of, of something. This unfinished painting that we're looking at has a, a drawn form at the bottom. Um, of a female nude and you can see the heft of her form. You can see the weight of her hips and her flesh lying on the floor. You can see how with her arm that she's leaning on, her right arm, he's changed the movement of it. You can get the sense of her shifting around on the floor, her weight. That drawing tells you a lot more than just the fact that he's drawing a, a naked female in the studio. It's actually telling you something about the feeling of that form and the emotions that it evokes. And for some people, you know, Brett Whiteley was very in tune with his sexuality and he gets a great deal of enjoyment out of drawing the female nude because of of what it suggests sexually. But also there's a great tradition in Western art of painting the nude, of drawing the nude, to try and understand form. And there's nothing more fascinating than a human body in space and how it moves and how it holds together and how it, is in the world. And so there's all these different layers in that, just looking at this drawing here in front of us today.
0: To me, this is why we preserve an artist's studio. Sure, I can go to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and get lost staring into the deep blue of Brett Whiteley's Sydney Harbour paintings. But it's not until you visit his studio like this... See the postcards that he's pinned to his wall, the albums lined up, the paint spattered on the floor and unfinished paintings that you start to really get an understanding of what makes a Brett Whiteley, a Brett Whiteley. Thank you to this episode's guests, Anne Ryan, Louise Young, Wendy Whiteley, Barry Pierce, Deborah Kelly and David Eastwood. This podcast has been brought to you by the Brett Whiteley Studio in collaboration with the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You can visit Brett's studio in Sydney from Thursday to Sunday. Admission is free. My name's Fenella Kernerbone. Thanks for joining me.